Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your presence here among us. Thank you. Lord, that you've given us your word to guide us in life. You did not leave us as orphans, but you sent your Holy Spirit as well to reside in our hearts. God with us, your presence, your word. Lord, we're in really good uh, shape. And we pray, Father, that you bless our efforts this morning to hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. The Bible tells us that The greatest quality a human being could ever have is wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you everything you have, get understanding. Proverbs 3, 15 says, Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Well, why do you think God puts wisdom on the top of the list? Well, it's kind of the make it or break it quality. You know, with it, you can navigate through life, avoiding all the minefields and the booby traps and um, making the right choices. Life is full and rich and sweet and blessed. But without wisdom, you haven't got a chance. It's going to be shipwreck city. Sooner or later, very painful. The rod of punishment, Proverbs says, is for the back of him who lacks understanding. You know, we've all done stupid things and paid the painful consequences thereof. Now, King Solomon desired wisdom. You remember back in 1 Kings chapter 3 when God appeared to him in a dream and said, Kid, ask for whatever you like and I'll give it to you. And his answer was, as you know, wisdom. He said, I want a discerning heart to be able to do my job for you well. And I'd like the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. And the Lord answered that prayer and made Solomon the wisest man on earth. You know, he wrote the better part of Proverbs, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. He also wrote Song of Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes. An example of wisdom in action from King Solomon's life is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. You'll remember that uh, two moms in the kingdom uh, were living in the same house and both delivered newborn babies within 72 hours of one another. And then tragedy struck and one of the babies died. And then before Solomon's court, the two ladies appeared with one infant, and the first lady spoke. She said, during the night, this woman's son died because she laid on top of him. 
So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was asleep, and she put him by her side and put the dead baby in my bed. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't actually my baby, but hers. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. And they broke into a fierce argument back and forth. And then the king said, enough. This is nonsense. My son is alive. Your son is dead. Your son is dead. My son is alive. I've got the answer. Bring me a sword. We'll cut that thing in half and give one half to the first lady and the second half to the other. And the first lady says, no, don't do that. You know what? Give the baby to her. It's her baby. Give it to her. And the other one said, I guess neither of us is going to get the baby. And King Solomon says, stop. Give the baby to lady number one. It's her baby. The baby, the woman who cared enough to give up her right and give the baby over in the argument to the other woman. Knowledge is the ability to take things apart, it is said, but wisdom is the ability to put things together. And it's not all about having a PhD or being intellectually smart. We all know smart people who do dumb things. Amen? It's not about the letters after your name. It's about being able to do the right thing at the right time for the right Reason. Can you imagine having that kind of wisdom? Always the right words in, the, in every given situation. Always the right path in this life where there's always right or left or in the middle or what to do. Can you imagine always basing every move you make upon sound judgment? That is a wonderful thought. And I guess that's why the book of Proverbs says, if, <laughs> boy, Whatever it takes to get that quality, get it. The coolest thing of all is the Bible says heavenly wisdom can be yours, can be ours for the asking. It's readily available. So as we begin a new study through our five-chapter book here in the New Testament called James, Pastor James is the lead pastor there at Jerusalem, writing to the Jewish believers who, from his church, got scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they're falling apart, quite frankly. They're derailed. Their faith is derailed. They're discouraged. They're persecuted. They're in trouble. They've compromised, and they're acting like, more like the pagans who surround them than the true believers that they truly are. And so James is kind of a no-nonsense approach because he's really, in effect, doing CPR to revive their faith. Now, you can't lose your salvation, but you can shipwreck your faith and your life. So the book of James is 108 verses, and over half of them, 55 of them, are imperatives, commands, do this, do that, do this. Do that. And first of all, what that tells me of the book of James is that when your faith is in trouble, you can fix it simply by doing or not doing. You don't really need much more than just stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right thing. Jesus had that approach too when he said, you know what, you guys, you've lost your first love. Do the things you used to do. 
Oh, he didn't say, you know, you had to figure it all out. You have to go to all these counselors. The counseling is a good thing when done right and biblically. But what James is telling me is, is, is that when I'm in trouble, I can just simply do the right thing that God tells me to do. I do something right and it will fix the problem. That's really encouraging. And so James is calling to these new, uh, not new believers, but these believers who are in trouble to put their faith into action and to use wisdom in their time of trouble. Let's refresh with verse 2 of chapter 1, and we'll continue through the chapter to verse 12. Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials, testing, trouble, temptation, of many kind, of every kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, where we're starting today, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances, these guys are hurting, they're in trouble, they don't have a lot of money. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial and challenge and testing because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And that concludes the portion of the text for our consideration this morning. And now, usually the thesis statement, the topic sentence of a section of any literature, appears at the beginning. But here, folks, you have in verse 12, the thesis statement. The whole point of verses 1 through 11 is to help you cross the finish line, to get to heaven, head held high, to have a life that overcomes that it's victorious no matter what's thrown in your path, that you will enter heaven, you will look at Jesus, there will be no regrets. This is the topic sentence. Verses 1 through 11 is how to overcome. The goal is to overcome, to get there, not derailed by your problems, but strengthened by them and in them and through them. And so as you have been hearing last week we opened with a bang there and practical exhortations so that uh, we will avert a collision course when we lose our faith in the time of trouble so he's saying here's what you need to do so that your faith won't be short-circuited by these troubles that come upon us like being thrown in a pressure cooker so really first as you saw just for context he says there in verse, the opening verse, change your attitude. Uh, trouble can be a good thing. It can be your friend. 
In fact, the devotional book called Hind's Feet on High Places, a Christian analogy, uses the story of this crippled deer who must make it to the top of this mountain where she will be joined to her Lord. And the shepherd gives her two helpers, sorrowful and sadness. Suffering and sorrow, I should say. Suffering and sorrow are her two companions. They are her faithful, trusted friends. Without them, she doesn't get to the top of the mountain to be with her Lord. You see, so James just showed us, look, your faith is being tested, but your prayer life, your intimacy with God is being developed and deepened. You're developing Christian character. You're strengthening your faith. You're witnessing to others. It can be a beautiful thing, as painful as it is. So number one was change your attitude. Number two that we saw last week was cooperate with God. Use this thing. God has allowed this thing as an opportunity. The sandpaper has come in. He says, you know, cooperate. Don't rebel and try to get away so much as to come under it and say, God, what are you teaching me here? Let me cooperate with this. You've allowed this to shape my Christian life, to help me, to deepen me, to strengthen me. Let me cooperate with you, not resist you. Last night, I was watching a bit of um, the untold stories of the ER, a show that I like to watch. Barb likes it, too. There was an episode on there where a little girl, it's a hot summer day, she wasn't wearing much, little kid. She fell headlong into cactus bed. She had hundreds of needles everywhere. And the doctor was saying, please, hold still. I'm trying to help you. Stop resisting. Stop flinching. Work with me. Lie still. Trust me. I'm, I, I'm taking it away. I'm resolving the problem. I was like, I'm on this. I, I get this. God says, cooperate with me. Hold still. Stop turning away. Let's get the needles out. That's one of the beautiful things about hardship and struggle in the Christian's life. And now we're on to our verse for consideration, our verses, I should say. James is elaborating on how to handle adversity, trouble, conflict of of all kinds. And he says, thirdly now, in our point, ask God for wisdom. So we're going to walk through verses 5 through 11 and 12 and see what we can pick up here about uh, wisdom, how we must ask God for wisdom. Here's the paraphrase. Now, in your trouble, if you don't know how to handle the trouble wisely, and you don't, ask God who will gladly give you all the wisdom you need to figure this one out. You won't have to qualify You won't have to earn it. He's just delighted to give you the answer because you've asked. He wants to see you victorious. Now, let's talk about this asking God for wisdom. 
You know, he's just told us to do two things that don't come natural to any human being. He said, uh, consider it joy when you're in pain, <laughs> suffering, and you've got troubles. And then he says, cooperate with God. Lay still while he's pulling those things out. You know, those are kind of hard things to do, to remain under it, to, be, to endure like that. And so now he says, and if you don't know how to do that, ask God for the wisdom, and he will show you how to lie still. How to count it as joy, even though it is a tough time. So asking God for wisdom. Why do we have to do that? Well, number one, uh, you know, sheep aren't really known for their intellectual abilities. Uh, They're kind of dumb. You've heard the story. One sheep, you know, wanders in the wrong direction into traffic, and they all go out with him, right into traffic. As one and the next one and the next one, they can't put it together. They can't figure out, oh, follow him, end up on side of road dead. They just, just keep doing it. Oh, just, just one goes over the cliff, and then there's a whole pile of cotton at the bottom. Or, I mean, wool, wool, <laughs> cotton. <laughs> fluffy, fluffy material. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, we need to ask God. James is saying, okay, you're in the pressure cooker. How do you respond biblically? You don't know. God knows. God's the only one who has wisdom. Ask him. He'll tell you. Now, how important is this? Well, there are various types of trouble that require various types of actions. And there's not a cookie-cutter approach in the Bible to your troubles. Now, generally, I mean, there are some principles there. You can say, hey, I've got this problem. Oh, verse number five has the answer. Boom. It's rarely like that. It's rarely like that. And oftentimes there's A, B, and C, and D in the Bible about one problem. So you have to have this living relationship with God that says, in this circumstance, in this moment, considering this person and who I am and the whole situation, what do I do in this situation? Because it's not always the same. Look at the themes in the book of Proverbs to show you what kind of wisdom we really need. The book of Proverbs talks about handling money and business matters correctly, marital issues and problems, raising children, sexual morality, alcohol use, character issues, vices like laziness and pride, gossip and greed, virtues like faithfulness, love, patience, and self-control. The power of the tongue, our words, save us or destroy us. Relationship with God, what God loves and what God hates. Choosing friendships, it goes on and on. Various troubles cause, ca- are call, calls for various solutions and wisdom. You know, sometimes in a bind, you should say something. And other times, you need to be quiet. Words will make it worse. Which situation am I in? God, do I need to speak or do I need to refrain from speaking? Sometimes when you're offended, you are to overlook it. The Proverbs say it is to your glory to overlook an offense and that love covers a multitude of sins. And then in the next breath, The Lord will say, if your brother offends you, go to that person and tell them the fault. 
Which situation is this, Lord? Do I need to overlook this? Or do I need to go and say, hey, you've offended me. This is the problem. Wisdom will tell you which situation you are in. You know, in other times, some troubles require that I be patient and wait. Timing is everything. And other troubles, I need to act this second. Which is it? The answer is going to God, asking him for wisdom, and he will give you that wisdom. Wisdom is the understanding of the nature and purpose of our troubles and knowing how to meet them victoriously. Maybe the trouble is you. Sorry, no offense. Probably nobody in here. But maybe you, you are the source of the problem. Maybe it's something that you're doing. You ask God, what am I doing wrong here? And he'll tell you if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to do what he's telling you to do. And so first, like I said, we must have wisdom. Uh, And secondly, wisdom is readily available to us. The text says, ask God for wisdom and understanding. He gives generously the wisdom you need and without finding fault, it says, or without reproach. Now, that's a curious term. What does it mean? Well, first of all, God gives generously and makes wisdom available to you easy. It's not hard to get wisdom. Uh, Proverbs, I love this passage in Proverbs 9. And here is a, is a paraphrase of it. Wisdom is right out there in front of everybody in the wide open. In the public square, just calling out, screaming to people in their face as they pass by. Let anyone who's simple come to me. Anyone who lacks common sense, I'm right here. Leave your foolish ways and enjoy life. That's Proverbs 9, paraphrase. It's not hard. God doesn't have some secret that you have to climb some ladder. You've got to go to some school. You've got to do this. He says, you ask me, and I will give generously. Wisdom is so available. And then it says, without finding fault with you or without reproach. Here's what that means. You ask God, you're in trouble. You ask God for wisdom. He doesn't, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to earn it. He doesn't resent the fact that you're at a loss. He doesn't say, you know, you asked me three days ago for wisdom, and now, you know, what is it with you? You know, you can't figure this out on your own? That's what James is saying. He's saying, you know how you go to a friend, and however generous they are, it's a little awkward to keep going to them and saying, I mean, they love to give. And you're in a bind, and you go to them, and they help you out every time. But it's still a little awkward to keep going to the same person. He says, God isn't like that. You're like a little ant at, and at a granary of heaven. You're asking for one little morsel. And God is like, I got a whole granary, oh ant, please. And I, and I want you to have the whole thing, you know? So he says, don't worry about constantly saying, God, God I know I just asked you four seconds ago. You know, but there's a new problem here, <laughs> you know? And, and that's seriously how we have to live. Because wisdom comes from the Lord. And from his mouth comes understanding. 
You have to be plugged in 24-7 and kind of have him on the back burner while life is unfolding. And I've told you this before. I mean, I do (laughs) silly things. I do dumb things. And then I tell you that I do them. That's the dumb part. But while I'm talking to somebody, if I'm at a loss and I'm in a situation, I start fingerspelling to the Lord. Like just because just I'm engaged here. I, it's hard for me. And I start fingerspelling just S-O-S, S-O-S over and over again. I just do it. So if you're talking to me and you see my hand moving, you know uh, I'm, at, I'm at, at a loss. <laughs> God has a way to live and think about everything. you got to hear from him and ask from him. He does not scold his children for asking or berate them for their deficiency. He's well aware who you are and your capacity to figure things out. He's well aware. Psalm 103. He knows we're but dust. He formed us. He knows we have a sinful nature. He knows how dense we could be. He had 12 disciples who were this close to the living, incarnate God Almighty and couldn't figure it out. He knows. He gets it. And he says, I don't have a problem with how many times you need me. Ask me. I will give it to you over and over and over again. And how does he do that? Well, he speaks with that still, small voice. You know, it takes a little learning to know when that's him or not. But once he starts and you're walking with the Lord, as most of you know, you know that voice. He says, my sheep, one thing about them, they know my voice. Takes a little bit of discerning and a little bit to figure out because there are a lot of voices calling out, right? So that still small voice, godly counsel, God gifts the, the, the faith community with words of wisdom and words of knowledge. He put knowledge and wisdom in his people so that when you reach out to somebody and say, I'm in this dilemma, what should I do? God says, I will gift that person with a word, with an understanding for you. And of course, we have the word of God to test that so that we understand that it's coming from the Lord and not from some other source, even if it's well-intended. The example of fools will bring wisdom. All you have to do is watch a fool and their consequences and get wisdom. Or you watch a godly, righteous person and the consequences, and you'll have wisdom. There's lots of ways to get wisdom. And he says, so there's... Uh, there is one stipulation the verse goes on. And it's not, the problem is not with God. The problem is in the person. So the next point here then is one stipulation, a committed heart to God, true faith, a believer through and through. You have to belong to him totally for him to deal with you and give you what you're asking. Uh, here's, um, you know, it's kind of like James is hearing somebody saying, hey, do you, you're in trouble? Ask God for wisdom. And he can hear somebody saying, no, I ask God for wisdom. And he says, oh, let me address you. Because he's saying, I asked for God for wisdom, and I didn't get any answers. Oh, he says, okay, let's talk about why you didn't get any answers. Maybe it's the way that you live your life for God. 
in this regard. Here's a paraphrase. It's very loose, but I think it brings the understanding. When you ask God for wisdom in your time of trouble, don't play any games. Today you believe, tomorrow you don't. Today you're his, tomorrow you're not. Today it's yes, but tomorrow it's no. Your life is as stable as the changing tides and shifting wind. Until you make up your mind, don't get your hopes too high about hearing anything from God because the Lord doesn't play games. He really doesn't play games. So he's talking to the person who, depending on how hard the trouble is and what God is demanding of him, is deciding whether or not he will serve. And so he's not fully trusting in the Lord. He is what the Bible calls in your text double-minded. Now, the word for that is dipsikos, and it means two-souled or double-souled inside, two people. So one says, I'm a believer who's serving God. The other one says, you know what? Uh, Maybe not. Maybe there isn't a God after all. After all, I'm in this pickle, you know. Maybe there is no God, or maybe God doesn't love me, or maybe God isn't good. That's the kind of doubting he's talking about. When you're doubting in your Christian life, just having struggles, he's not talking about that kind of doubting. Nor is he asking you to say, here's how I want you to resolve this problem, and I'm going to really believe that that's going to be the way that you do it. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't be double-lifed, where it depends on the answer whether or not I'm going to serve him. That's what he's talking about. Conditional Christianity. My commitment is dependent on the nature of the problem that God has allowed in my life and the type of wisdom he's prescribing. So, in other words, let the one in trouble ask in faith and do not doubt God's existence, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's right to rule your life. If you're in this for hell, hell, come hell or high water, that's what he's saying. Then he says, I can talk to you. But why would I even bother talking to you if you're going to say things like, you know, I'm not really going to listen to you. I don't intend for one minute to put this into practice. I'm not even on speaking terms with you right now. I'm angry with you. I'm questioning whether or not I even wish to serve you or whether you're even there since you've allowed this to be my situation. He says, oh, oh, you're not going to get anything. How can I deal with that? You don't even put it into practice. You're not even looking for it. You're just whining. He says, don't do that. You won't get anything. But he says, not be perfect, but be open and honest. I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. God, whatever you tell me, I'll do. I'm yours. If you take it away, if you don't, if you heal me or no, I belong to you. He says, that now. You will get the wisdom. You will get your answer. So let's finish the verse. It finishes out here. So if you're taking notes, he says, if you're handling troubles, here's how to do it. You change your attitude that something good is happening here as well. You cooperate with the process. 
You ask God for the wisdom. And here's something that many people think he skipped to a new topic. He has not. In wisdom, your answer in trouble is not money. More money is not the answer. And so for a few verses here, 9 through 11, I'll read it to you. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he'll pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises, scorching heat, withers the plant, blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. The context is very important here. These are Jews who believe in Jesus, who aren't fitting in with the Gentile pagans around them or the Jews who live in the community. They can't get work. They're being persecuted. They, do, they are the menial laborers of the first century. And they're enamored with their rich landlords and their bosses. On one side, they're being persecuted by them. And on the other hand, they love them and want to be with them. And just saying, if we just were like them, if we just had more money, look at them in the beautiful chariots and the homes. That's the answer. And James says, oh, come on, you guys. Let's talk about this. Let's have some wisdom here. They're saying, if only I had more money, an easier life, better car, bigger house, fame and fortune, live the high life. All these problems would go away. And James says the answer is not in money. It's time for an attitude adjustment. He says, okay, the brother who is in a modest circumstance must always realize that he's not defined by his income or his tax bracket. You're not defined by who you are at work or all your human titles that we love to throw out. He says, that makes no difference. What does matter is your relationship with God. And he says, the person who is struggling with little money ought to remember his high place with God, that you are united to God. You are a co-heir to Christ. You're going to heaven. He says, remember who you are, not defined as the world defines and jockeys around for position. He says, you're not falling for that. Thinking that, oh, because you're rich, you're more blessed and more happy. The most miserable people on the planet have money. The most problematic lives have riches and wealth. And James is saying, knock it off, you guys. You're thinking, instead of looking for the wisdom from God to handle your trouble, you're looking for more income to make things better. And he says, oh, brother, you who are working a minimum paid uh, rate job. He says, do you know who you are? When Elizabeth Taylor entered into eternal life, the glamour, the glitz, the Oscars, the bank account, the paparazzi, nothing mattered. It was reduced to Liz standing there as a human being. As it will be, poor and rich, and this is James' point. There is no distinction in God's eyes. 
The distinction in our eyes, oh, wow. And God says, did you find my son? Did my son find you? And were you faithful in your life with me? Were you rich toward God? That's the question. Riches in this life, irrelevant. Your socioeconomic status, irrelevant. You are not defined by that. They are not defined in that in your riches or in your poverty. And death, and that's James' point. Here today, gone tomorrow, and then what? Brother, you are then in a very high position. And the rich, you'll notice, brother is not in the sentence. The rich without God are now in a low position. An unbelieving general, I read this little illustration, a highly decorated general with a lot of power. He was not a believer. He had great wealth. He found himself seated next to a chaplain at a state dinner And he said, Pastor, what's one thing you can tell me about heaven, something that might surprise me? The chaplain looks at him and says, well, for starters, in heaven, you will not be a general. You walk through the gate. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate or no. It doesn't matter anything that you were associated here. He starts looking at a whole different standard. And James just says, brothers. Don't feel like a loser. Don't feel like, oh, I don't have any money. I'm Look at me, and I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I'm looking, and I idealize all of these fancy, rich, life of luxury pagans around you who don't even know God. There's a reversal coming when high will be low and low will be high. He says, start thinking like that. Don't buy The big lie. Have a reality check here. You can live contentedly and focused right now. He says, his closing thoughts there, folks, the wealthy, they get sick. They get old. You know, during the bit with um, Liz Taylor and all the news that came out when she passed away, they had a comment on the screen from Zsa Zsa Gabor who's an old-time, big-time Hollywood star, like Liz. And she, there's a picture of her on the screen. And PJ was in the room. They first showed her when she was in her, in her limelight. It was just star Hollywood on the red carpet. And then they showed her in the hospital bed giving a comment about Liz's passing. And PJ was in the room. And PJ looked and went, who's that? That's not her. I said, yeah, that's Zsa Zsa Gabor at 94. And I said, kid, that's where we're all headed. That's what it's about. You don't go on the green carpet. The green carpet. (laughs) Maybe some people do. You know, the only red carpet... The only red carpet I want, stained with someone's blood that enabled me to walk into the royal courts of heaven. That's the red carpet that I want to walk on. That's the only thing that matters. And James is saying, 
just smacking them, just saying, consider it joy. Number one, cooperate with the process. Ask God for wisdom. Don't play games with him. Be a believer. Come hell or high water. And please, don't buy the lie that more money will make it better. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And Lord, while I'm thinking about it, Lord, we, we wish for all people to know you. And it is our hope that Liz had faith in you, Father God. And that in those moments, that when she was languishing, she turned to the Savior and found life. That, Father, we pray that the truths from James grab a hold of our hearts for we're all in trouble of some kind today I'm sure we need your wisdom we need an attitude adjustment we need to cooperate with you we need all these things so desperately help us apply them to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name Amen let's stand again sometimes God's, God allows some very challenging things to happen to people. One of the reasons he does that is so that we'll look to him. You know, when you're on the ground laying on your back, there's only one way to look, isn't it? Up. So if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, can you imagine going through this kind of life and then dying and experiencing the wrath of God. For the Christian, this is the closest to hell any Christian ever gets, is this life. And in this life, the unbeliever, it's the closest to heaven you'll ever get. While you have a chance, God is using everything, including your troubles, to say, hey, open up, let me save you. So while we bow our heads, we like to have altar calls practically every service, just giving folks a chance to get right with God. In fact, it's, for me, the most important part of the service, really. So nobody's looking around. We're bowing our heads. If you're here, you're not quite right with God. You've never given him your heart. You want to become a Christian. Ask him to forgive all your sins and wash away your stains and make something good out of the mess. Um, and all you have to do is pray a simple prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. We'll lead you in that prayer. We won't call you out. If you want to give your heart over to the Lord and know this day you've made peace with God, then just raise your hand up nice and high, and I'll ask you to repeat a prayer. The whole church will pray the prayer with you. Anybody nice and high? The first time you'd like to commit your life to Christ. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. And the second hand. Nice and high. I know that when they go nice and high like that, I know you really mean it. (laughs) All right. And there might be a third, but I can't see for sure. But two, here we go. We're going to pray the sinner's prayer. You just mean it in your heart. The Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. 
have done wrong things. I ask your forgiveness. I come to you this morning and open my heart. I believe in you. You died on the cross for me. I accept you. Have your way in my life. I belong to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, I pray, especially for those who are struggling in the pressure cooker, it's easy when we're not to, to listen to these sermons, but it's harder when we're hurting. So help us to have the grace, Lord, to consider it there's joy somewhere in this, to cooperate with you, to have a, a full faith, commitment to you, to believe you, to take you at your word, and to ask you for wisdom. And then when you tell us how to solve it, help us to actually take steps to obey you. And we thank you so hard, so much for this, the people who are struggling so hard with stuff. May we carry one another's burdens, and may they cast them upon you as well. We thank you for all your good blessings to us, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.